0: Hello and welcome to Planet Money. Hello and w- welcome to Planet Money. Hello
1: and welcome to Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum.
2: And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Today is Tuesday, December 21st. That was Chris Kringle, you heard at the top, also known as Santa Claus.
1: Also known as Roger Franklin, 84 years old, the longest or second longest serving Santa in New York City. On the podcast today, we bring a bag full of candy into a seventh grade classroom to try to solve a holiday economic puzzle.
2: But first, of course, our Planet Money indicator from our own Jacob Goldstein.
3: Today's Planet Money Indicator is $50 billion. Uh, That's how much debt Lehman Brothers hid from investors in the months before it went bankrupt a couple years ago. Of course, we heard about this a few months ago in this big report that came out. That's this accounting trick. It has this great name, Repo 105. Uh, But the whole thing is back in the news this week because Andrew Cuomo, he's the New York Attorney General, he's suing Ernst & Young, which is the auditor that signed off on Lehman's books back before the bank went bankrupt.
2: They're suing the auditor? Why aren't they going after the people who actually hid the debt?
3: Well, that that is a really good question. I mean, on, on one level, it makes sense to sue the auditor. Repo 105 was an accounting move that Lehman was making. And, and this big court-ordered report about Lehman that came out earlier this year, the one that talked all about Repo 105, it did say that Ernst & Young could be on the hook for this. But, you know, then again, that report also said that the execs at Lehman could also be on the hook for this. So what does that
1: mean that they haven't filed anything against the execs? I mean, I feel like there are two possible interpretations. One is that... You know, they don't have a good case. And the other, I guess, is that they're, they're still working on
3: one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to know at this point. But I think if we look more generally, it's clear that we have not seen many cases filed by the government against the banks or against the bankers. You know, there was the SEC's civil case against Goldman Sachs earlier this year. That one settled for $500 million, not a trivial amount of money. And then there was that criminal case against those guys who ran a hedge fund at Bear Stearns. That one went all the way to trial, and the jury found the Bear Stearns. Guys, not guilty.
2: Thank you, Jacob.
1: Thanks, guys. So on with the show today. Christmas and the holiday season in general is a happy, joyful time of year, except if you're an economist, because once you learn about economics, it can be hard to appreciate the holiday season because you start to see all these problems, particularly around the giving of gifts.
2: Last year around this time, I talked to an economist who gets really upset about gift giving. His name is Joel Waldfogel, and he's a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota and author of the book, Scroogeonomics. Why You Shouldn't Buy Presents for the Holidays.
1: That is such a killer title.
2: I know. And I'm a huge fan of Christmas. So I really, last year when I talked to him, I really wanted to challenge him. And he kept trying to convince me that despite the title of his book, he doesn't really hate the holidays.
4: I think some people perceive me as attacking Christmas, which I never meant to, just the sloppy way that we celebrate it. So
1: Joel doesn't like gift giving because typically it generates what economists call deadweight loss. What is deadweight loss? It is this.
4: Hey, my name is Sadre. Um, I actually got, this is kind of silly, but I got a Power Ranger, like a big old Power Ranger toy. I was kind of angry because I really hate Power Rangers. I was like... What is this?
1: Like, I didn't ask for that.
4: Yeah, I was like, you know, I was grateful, but I didn't really like it. I was like, can I, can I get something else?
0: My name is Angelica, and last year my mom got me
2: a Barbie. <laughs> I didn't want it, and I was like, I'm too old for it.
1: You're too old for it? Yeah. What would you have wanted instead?
2: Um, like something, like, electronic, not like a Barbie
0: my name is nicholas i got a homemade knit sweater that it wasn't it was it was okay but it wasn't really all that it wasn't knit as well as you would see a regular scarf then when i got it like i just put on like a
2: fake like spirit and had like i just went along with it even though i really didn't like it
1: so when nicholas said wasn't all that that's what economists mean by deadweight loss As you heard on the last podcast, the one about the pencil and the cappuccino, the market system is this miraculous thing that allows for the very efficient distribution of goods. And yet, once a year, we entirely throw that out and we just decide to give gifts. We buy someone something, cross our fingers, and just hope that they like it.
2: Joel Waldfogel explains the deadweight loss problem like this. Normally, if you buy something for yourself, say your sweater or maybe a Power Ranger, You're buying it because if the Power Ranger costs $10, you'd rather have it than the $10. It's worth at least that amount of money to you. So you benefit by going through with the transaction.
1: But he explained to us last year that is not usually the case with gift giving because someone else is buying the gift for you. They don't necessarily know what you want.
4: I could spend $50 and buy something that's worth nothing to you.
2: So say, for example, you bought me a $50 toaster for Christmas. I, I don't need a toaster. I don't really have room for one of my Christmas. You're saying that's just a drain on the economy, just lost money.
4: Well, yeah, particularly if I buy you a toaster and you don't need it, so you stick it in a closet and that's where it stays forever. Something cost real resources. So, you know, some elves, so to speak, had to make that toaster. But if it generates no use and no satisfaction for anyone, then it's just pure waste.
2: This may be one of those things that seems like, who cares? I mean, it only happens once a year. What's the big deal if you don't want a toaster and you get one? But Walt Fogel has done a bunch of research on this. And he estimates that the U.S. holiday gift-giving season destroys about $13 billion worth of value. That's $13 billion worth of toasters and closets, ties that don't match anything you own, books you're not going to read. It's a huge number.
1: And then when we talked to Joel last year, he left us with this warm, upbeat, cheerful holiday wish.
4: I honestly want... Uh, people to have happy and efficient holidays. That would be the best gift for me if people just uh, were a little more careful and we didn't destroy so much value this time of year.
1: So, Mr. that gave me an idea. I wanted to do an experiment to see if we could make Christmas and the holidays more joyful by making them more efficient. Is that possible? Can efficiency make us happier? So in search of an answer, we went to a 7th grade classroom at the Lions Community School just across the river here in Brooklyn. Those are the kids you heard from earlier. I heard one of them say he got a Power Ranger he didn't really want. The kids there, like most kids, they have a history of inefficient holidays.
2: We got there pretty early in the morning, just around 8 a.m., and we're in this classroom that looks a lot like you expect. There's something on every inch of the wall. There's a map whiteboard results of the most recent science experiments they'd done.
1: So we started our experiment doing what the economist Joel Waldfogel hates. We gave out gifts to the kids, people we don't know at all, and <laughs> we gave out the gifts in the most inefficient way possible, randomly. We just had this bag with 10 pieces of candy. We line up the kids, we walk down the line, and we give each of them a piece of candy completely at random.
2: And mostly the kids just stare at the things in their hands. They're checking out what they have and what their neighbors are holding. But some pieces of candy, like the box of Sour Patch Kids, were really big hits. Oh, you lucky.
1: <laughs> some other things we hand out, though, they are not so popular. Something wrong with Fig Newtons?
0: I hate Fig oh.
1: <laughs> It's a box of raisins.
0: Oh, I hate raisins. <laughs>
2: Besides the Sour Patch Kids, Big Newtons, and Raisins, we gave out Nerds, Mike and Ikes, Three Musketeers, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Twix, Sweet Tarts, and Swedish Fish. Ten candies in total.
1: So, Caitlin, when you and our production assistant, Jess, were trying to figure out what to buy, I overheard way too much talk. Jess was down the street at the drugstore calling back, should I get Mike and Eggs ex- or we want something they don't like? Let's get raisins. <laughs> oh, no, they're totally going to hate sweet tarts.
2: Yeah, we had a lot of fun with this, I have to say. All
1: right, so once we'd handed these things out, we wanted to measure. We wanted to measure how much wealth we have out there in this scenario. So we did this the way economists might do it. We asked the kids, how much do you value what you have in your hands? Look around and give us a number from zero to ten. How happy are you with what you got?
4: My name is Genesee and I got Mike and Ike. And
0: it's a zero because I don't eat these. <laughs> All
1: right, Mike and I get a zero.
0: My name is Donay, and I got a three musketeers bar. And I, got, I, have, I put up a five because I like them, but not that much.
1: Okay,
4: five. My name is Michael, and I got nerds. And I put up a, a two because I don't really like these. My name is Justin James, and I, I, I put a zero because I don't like figs.
1: One kid has been writing these numbers down on the board as we go, in very neat handwriting, and then we add them up. Collectively, we got 50.
2: Total wealth? 50. And this is an important number. It's how much value there is in this room at this moment. But I gotta say, it seems low to me. Why? Because before we came in, these kids had nothing. And we just handed them this candy. For free. Right. Without them doing anything. We didn't ask them to answer any questions or solve any math problems. We just handed it over.
1: And they're like, yeah, zero, one.
2: Right. It seems so bizarre. What kid doesn't love candy?
1: This is what Joel Waldfogel, the economist, is saying is the problem with gifts. Even a gift, even something you get for free, you know, you may not value it very much. It makes you think, you know, if we could make the holidays more efficient, we could make everyone much happier. Because on average right now, everyone in this classroom, they're basically at a
2: five. So we wanted to find a way to fix this, and we asked the kids, what could we do? Without bringing anything new into this classroom, is it possible to make all of you happier, to increase the total wealth? Here's the first answer we got, completely unedited, from Joshua Felician.
1: So how can we make that number go higher?
2: To appreciate
3: like, do something that, like, oh my god, um... Like, give it around, probably, like, trade and, like, stuff like that.
1: Trade. So what I love is that in just 11.8 seconds, Joshua Felician, 7th grader, has proposed creating a marketplace, one of the most important economic innovations in human history. You see it pop up throughout civilization. Here, it takes just 11.8 seconds.
2: And it makes sense. These kids probably don't have jobs. Most of the money they get probably comes from their parents, and so they can't just go out and buy things. It makes sense when you're in this sort of seventh-grade pre-money world. You trade. Kids trade things all the time. They trade baseball cards, toys, Halloween candy. In fact, literally within seconds of us handing out the candy to the kids, before you asked them their ideas about what we could do, I heard them whisper to each other, "Hey, you want to trade?"
1: So that's what we decided to let them do. I want you to look around. You've seen what everyone has, right? I'm going to give you, I think, 60 seconds. Okay, one, you'll have one minute to trade, and it has to be mutual. So, you know, you can't force anyone to trade. The other person's got to be willing to trade. So, all right, uh, ready, go. And Caitlin, all of a sudden, it is like we are on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. It's like everyone swapping corn futures contracts.
0: you want? To trade? Sweet fish. What, you, want you want? No, I got <laughs> <mate.
2: laughs> <laughs> I got All of a sudden, there's this frenzy of activity. Everyone is clustering together. One kid just holds a Twix bar up over his head, so anyone who wants it can just run over to him. A minute later, we stop the trading.
1: Okay, Okay, I think we're done. So everyone gets back in line, line. and now we want to see if the trading has increased the wealth in the room. So we go down the line again and we ask everyone to value what they have now. Give us a number again from 0 to 10.
0: My name is Genesee, and i got sour patches. And um, it's a 10 because I love sour patches. So.
1: And what were you before? A 0. Oh, so you went from a 0 to a 10.
0: Yeah. My name is Donne, and I have Nerds now. And I give it a 9 because they taste really good to me.
1: And what did you have before?
0: I had three Musketeers, five. and I had a 5.
4: Okay. My name is Justin. I've traded, I traded a fig for raisins. And so now I put it was a zero to a one. It's
1: From fig Newtons to, to raisins is a zero to a one. Okay.
2: My name is Nicholas Heaven. I got fig Newton bars and I put it eight because. As
0: you see the picture, it looks okay, but I never ate Newton bars, so I'll put an eight.
2: So we start to total up the numbers. First, we're trying to do it in our heads, and we all end up with different figures, but eventually we converge. The total wealth in the room is now 82, and we started with 50.
1: So magically, without bringing anything new into the room, without buying more candy, Without consuming any electricity, without elves having to work overtime, just 60 seconds of letting people trade, our classroom wealth has gone from 50 up to 82, from an average of 5 to an average of 8.2. Behold, the amazing power of economics. And I tell this to the class. Well, I I try to tell them. That's why countries trade with each other. That's why you have commerce. That's why we have money. Because without doing any extra work, except 60 seconds of walking around with your candy in the air, you can increase the happiness by a lot in this case. My little speech didn't get much of a reaction.
2: I know. But David, we were really popular up until this point. I think, <laughs> with the candy? <laughs> yeah. We just walked in and handed them candy. They loved us. And I think at this point, they were just waiting for us to stop talking so they could actually eat it.
1: To be fair, I think this idea that trading sort of increases wealth is one of those things that – falls somewhere between being very basic and, and very profound. I mean, there's part of you that goes, duh, because this is what we live and breathe every day. This is the economy that we live in. But there's also part of you that goes, oh, you know, I never quite thought of it that way.
2: We wanted to know what Mr. Scroogenomics himself thought of our experiment, so we called Joel Waldfogel back. And we read him, his holiday wish from last year, that everyone have a happy but efficient holiday season.
1: So do you remember saying that last year? Uh, That sounds like something I would say, so I I, I agree with it. (laughs) (laughs) Still.
2: Yes. And we told him about our experiment, how we randomly handed out candy to the kids in Brooklyn.
1: Then we said, well, what can we do to make that number go up to make this more efficient? (laughs) You're laughing.
0: I'm laughing because I've done this. I did this at my daycare when my kids were like two and four. Anyways, I'm loving this. Go ahead.
2: So we tell him that then we let the kids trade, and the happiness went from 50 to 82.
0: You know, that's I love this story. It's like it maps one to one into the story I always tell. But then I say to the kids, "You know what this is? This is efficiency." <laughs> and that really gets
4: them
0: excited. <laughs> no, they're totally glazed over. But the point is, it's there's no more stuff here, but there's more happiness. That's efficiency. <laughs> Wait, so tell tell us your story. Well, so uh, there are two versions of it. But literally, the candy one was with my nieces when they were four and six. And it was the dregs of the Halloween candy. And I said, well, could you just rank order those from your most to least favorite? And the two kids had different rank orderings. So I engineered some trades. But then the little one started to cry. And, and and the older one said, Uncle Joel, is this economics? But the, the happier version of the story, though, is when I did it at the daycare with coloring book pages, and I, I brought two kids up and gave them things I think they didn't want. And I said, what could we do to make them more happy? And some kids suggested they could exchange. But then I just randomly handed out a bunch of stuff. Now again, these were four, like four and six-year-olds, or no, younger. These were like three and five. And there again, kids started to cry. <laughs>
2: Because they got things they didn't want.
0: Exactly. Like, kid, you had nothing. Now you have something. You could trade it. But they were crying. And so I learned... This was my point
2: about the candy. These kids were just giving them a five, and I was saying, hey, wait, you had no candy before we walked in here this morning.
0: The thing that's nice, so great about your experiment is you did it with kids old enough that they could actually do the trading. You know, I learned that economics kind of works only for kids who are maybe, you know, 10 and over.
1: (laughs) It is probably not surprising that us adults have figured out ways to deal with the inefficiency of the holidays. That is why we have parents intercepting letters to the North Pole to open them and read them and see what their kids actually want. That is why we have gift cards. That is why we have receipts. And of course, we have generous return policies.
4: Watch the season changing. See
3: the snow to
2: We'd like to say a special thank you to Rebecca DeCola at the Lion School, who let us give her kids a lot of candy very early in the morning.
1: <laughs> you heard from Tadre Jones, Genesee Gonzalez, Donne Rogers.
2: Also, Michael Diaz, Joshua Felician, Nicholas Heaven, and Angelica Osorio.
1: Thanks also to Dirk Mater at Penn State and Joe Calhoun at Florida State University. Their videos of similar experiments with college kids made us want to try this out.
2: And, of course, to Mr. Scrooge Anomics, Joel Waldfogel, we have links to his book and his advice for how to reduce deadweight loss on our blog, npr.org slash money.
1: Just a reminder, there will be no podcast this Friday. It's a holiday or something, but we will be back with you next Tuesday. I'm David Kestenbaum.
2: And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Thank you for listening.
1: She knows she changed the family fate.
3: She shared her brother's cake And buried the dog out by the lake And on we'll go Family fate She turns to kiss